morning. This morning's first scripture reading is taken from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. In the Blue Pew Bible, you can find it on page 1004. Again, the text is from Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, found on page 1004. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Our second scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, found on page 830. Again, we're reading from Matthew 5, verse 5, on page 830. It says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And finally, our last scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. It can be found on page 847. Again, the text is Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11, found on page 847. Hear now the word of the Lord. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the ground. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Thank you, Linda. Let's, uh, let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For we pray in Jesus' mighty and merciful name. Amen. Well, we've been walking through the fruit of the Spirit this summer. And this morning, I'm going to talk to you about what's called gentleness. Um, and we'll do it fairly briefly. But gentleness, and it's often translated in different ways. In fact, if you notice in the different texts that Linda wrote, that Linda read, the first one was, um, was from Galatians 5, where it lists the fruit of the Spirit. And it describes it as gentleness. 
And the Greek word is, it doesn't really matter, the Greek word is praus, is the, is the, is, is the word. And, uh, and then she read for you Matthew 5.5 5 from, um, from the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek. And it's actually the same Greek word, praus. Blessed are the meek. In fact, I, and it doesn't really, not, one's not better or worse, but probably meek is a better word. Okay, we don't use that word anymore, and that's, that's always the, it's the challenge of being a, a translator. I mean, tra- translating, as those of you who speak more than one language, you know that it's always difficult, actually, to, to really capture certain nuances. And that's the same with the word gentleness or meekness. The word gentleness just implies kind of a tenderness, just kind of a niceness. Meek is much, it's got a lot more to it. Than that. I want to talk very briefly about what that means this morning, okay? So let me just start with one of my, uh, one of my favorite singers. Well, he's probably a top 20 on my list or so, but most of you know him as the boss, right? Bruce Springsteen. He has this great song called Glory Days, and it begins like this. It begins, had a friend, was a big baseball player back in high school. He could throw that speedball by you, may you look, make you look like a a fool boy, right? Saw him the other night at this roadside bar. I was walking in. He was walking out. We went back inside, sat down, had a few drinks. But all he kept talking about was glory days, right? Glory days. Glory days, we, uh, well, they'll, they'll pass you by. Glory days in the wink of a young girl's eye. Glory days, glory days. This is a very simple encounter that he has with this guy who was stuck, in a sense, in high school, Right? Longing for a time past when he was good. He was good at something, right? A time when he was, not in a wrong way necessarily, but he was a big deal, right? And there's a sense in which all of us, in some way, shape, or form, long to be a big deal. And maybe not like to have all the attention on us, but at the very least, to make a difference, right? To have this sense of recognition, hey, that guy, he knows what he's doing. He's good at what he does, or she is good at what she does. They're kind of a big deal, right? And then there's, this, is, this is often played in comedies. I think of those of you who are familiar, this is an older now, I'm going to date myself, you're familiar with the, sort of the cult classic Napoleon Dynamite. There's a figure in there who's this uncle, he's Napoleon's uncle, and he, 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 all he longs for is being, going back to, to high school. He's like, he says this great line. He says it again and again. He says, don't you just wish you could go back? <laughs> right? Don't you just wish you could somehow go back to those days when he, and he would, it's so funny. He takes, uh, he has these videos that he takes of himself, like throwing the, the football, you know, like sort of scrambling and whatever. And it's, it's all very pathetic. But it's still this sense in which we, we can recognize we long for some significance. We long for status. We'd like to matter. And it's, it's that longing that's amazing what Jesus does with that longing. He doesn't, doesn't dismiss it. He doesn't make light of it. He doesn't say stuff, stuff it, just forget about it. But he actually subverts it in this really beautiful and important way. And it's found in this idea of meekness. And Jesus himself shows us what he lo- that looks like. In fact, in our call to worship this morning, there's this invitation, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Right? And he says, learn from me. He says, for I am gentle, or I am meek and lowly. 
And then, as, as, uh, as Linda read for us, we have this climactic story. Actually, it's a very anticlimactic story in some ways. Jesus is this called, it's traditionally called his triumphal entry. And he calls his disciples, hey, two of you go ahead, move, go on ahead, find me this colt, this donkey. I'm going to ride in to Jerusalem on this donkey. And the various crowds will hail him as a king or as some sort of messianic figure. And you think, just as, I don't know about you, but I mean, especially as a kid, I was like, no, that is the dumbest way to enter a city. I mean, it's just on a donkey, really? That's, that's the best you could do. I mean, if he were a real king, he would enter in on what? A war horse, a stallion, right? I mean, he would be like this Lord of the Rings scene, scene where he, he gallops in like, uh, like Aragorn or somebody, right? And it's just so anticlimactic. Really, a donkey. I mean, I mean, just he's kind of sitting there watching him go along. He's like, this is, this is Israel's king. What's going on there? What's, what, what's, what's, why so anticlimactic? What is it? What's, how are we to make sense of what Linda read for us? Well, it's found in the fact that Jesus is meek. And what does that mean? Listen, guys, this is incredible. This is so not me. I mean, like, I have no, you can ask my, my family, I have no meekness whatsoever. It's one of my greatest, biggest battles in my life. It's one of the things that I would love to be able to be because it's so freeing. Meekness, gang, is not needing to be a big deal. It's not needing to make a big splash. It's not needing to have all these followers, right, on, on social media. It's not needing to be the front page story. Jesus rides in a donkey. <laughs> and you think, well, you know what? That's actually kind of cool. He doesn't have to be the center of attention. I mean, he knows he is. He knows that all of world history is going to change through him. But he doesn't need everyone to know it. Now, and one of my favorite illustrations of meekness is found, and I don't deal with this, okay? you may not relate to this. I'm sorry for those of you, but I, I, my family, we often watch James Bond movies. And one of the favorite things I love about James Bond movies is actually not the action. It's not James Bond or whatever. That's all great. But I love the Bond villains. All the Bond villains are just so wonderful. You know why? They, they, all of them, yeah, for all their differences, they all have the same commonality. You ready? They're all very relaxed. You ever notice that? Like they're all very just, they're, they're actually very welcoming. Somehow, you know, finally Bond finds the, the bad guy's lair, his, like his hideout, right? And usually invites him in, they have dinner together. And he's sitting there, Bond, good to see you. And what's he got? He's got his cat, like that. I don't know why, what's it with villains and cats, but whatever. I mean, like that's, and he's just, come on in, Bond. You know, there's this, there's this he inevitably has this accent of some sort. And, and he's very welcoming. And he's relaxed. And he's secure. And you think, wait a minute, what's going on? How can he be so just polite, so um, cordial, so hospitable? In fact, he even goes on, he always going to spill the beans about their evil plans, right? I love this. He sits there and, boom, I'm going to rule the world. And, then, you know, and he tells them, like, oh, that's happening, right? And you think, what is this guy doing? And why is he so and why is he guys why is he so welcoming? Because he thinks he's going to win. He's so confident he's going to win. 
And listen, gang, when Jesus rides in on a donkey, he doesn't need to be a big deal. He doesn't need to be all, have all this fanfare. He doesn't need to rattle his saber. He doesn't need to tweet to his, all his fans. And the reason why is because he knows he's going to win. Let me just real quickly, let me just take us to one more place that, that uh, Melina didn't read for us, but I didn't, I didn't want her to turn to, the, turn to the right a little bit, okay? Turn to Matthew chapter 26. I want you to see this, uh, this beautiful, it's, the word meekness isn't found, but it illustrates who Jesus is. It's chapter 26, verse 50. Okay, that's a, it's found on page 854. Again, it's page, uh, eight, page 854 of your pew Bible, uh, verse 50. It's the, it's the, not, it's not, we're not going to start in the very beginning of verse 50, but about halfway through verse 50. It says, then, so Jesus is, this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is being arrested where he'll be tried and crucified. We read this, then men stepped forward and seized Jesus and arrested him. Now think about that. You've been following Jesus for the last two, three years. You've been with him in every moment, and you've seen everything happen. And you have these hopes for how things are going to turn out. And here you see your hero. You see your Savior suddenly like just treated like a criminal. They grab him, they arrest him, and you think, what? This is all going wrong. It's all a disaster. And in desperation, what does Peter do? With that, one of Jesus' companions, that's Peter, reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Everything is going wrong. How could things get any worse? How could we be any more vulnerable? Verse 52, put your sword Back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think, Peter, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Isn't that awesome, right? I know exactly what's happening here. I'm in full control. I've got resources to spare. But then what does he say? Verse 54. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Jesus is so confident that he is going to win. And so there's this relaxed dance, right? There's this meekness. I don't need to be a big deal. I don't need to win right here, right now. I don't need to be seen as in the right. I can be seen as in the wrong. I can be misunderstood. I can be rejected. Because I know that my father's plans, as written about in the scriptures long ago, will be fulfilled. In fact, even in this very act of them grabbing me, arresting me, uh, carrying me away to a bunch of corrupt religious and political leaders, they're actually fulfilling the scriptures themselves. 
Jesus knew that any opposition to him was ultimately a fulfillment of God's plan. That resistance was futile. And so, it didn't mean that he didn't care. It didn't mean that it didn't hurt. It didn't mean there wasn't a place for lament. We just did. But it freed Jesus. And it can free you and me to serve quietly, faithfully, without need for fanfare, followers, and likes, to be constantly longing for more affirmation, more visibility, with no longer a need to be a big deal. Let me close with this. Well, many of you have seen the Lord of the Rings movies. Think about that. If you came across the Ring of Power and you knew that it needed to be destroyed, and you, you think, okay, this needs to go to Mount Doom or it will be destroyed, to whom would you give that ring? Wouldn't you give it to a wizard? Wouldn't you give it to a, you know, a, a, a soldier, a great warrior like Aragorn? Who gets the ring? Who is entrusted to take the ring to Mount Doom? A little hobbit, right? Just a little vulnerable, small hobbit, right? Who is the, 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 uh, the antagonist, Sauron? Who is he looking for? Who is he expecting to, to, to bear the ring? A great king, a great wizard. And yet it's this little hobbit. It's this peasant in the first century world. A peasant. A Jew. And Jesus comes down, the Son of God comes down as a nobody. Confident that Scripture will be fulfilled. Walking in, riding in on a donkey. Surrendering to the authorities. Because it's all part of God's plan. It's all part of his purpose as foretold in the scriptures. Now think about this. Let me close with this. That's how he came the first time around. But what about the second time? How will he come? Not in meekness. Not in this quiet way. The heavens will be rolled back. And all the earth will see his splendor and his majesty and might. As the book of Revelation speaks, it speaks of the kings of the earth, the warriors, the generals, the merchants, all those who are a big deal fleeing for the mountains, saying what? Fall on us for the great and terrible day of the Lord has come. And the wrath of the Lamb is here, and who can stand against it? He'll have his day. He'll get his way. But that's not today. Today is a day of confession, of surrender, of repentance, of meekness. Where is Jesus calling you to just say, you know what? He's right. What does he say to his disciples at the very end? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He reigns at the right hand of the Father. Amen? Amen. All right, he reigns. 
and he will have his way and it frees you and me to have a relaxed stance, to be meek, to let the bad guys win and so fulfill his plan to do all that he desires. Christian, can you want to join me in trying to just learn this very counterintuitive way of meekness, to free ourselves from the social media, to free ourselves from just trying to make a splash and simply to serve. Let's pray together.